So today we're going to be talking about uh, gentleness. You know, I said before, it's been a, a crazy, crazy busy week to the point that I am exhausted both physically and probably mentally with some of the stuff that I had to deal with this during this week. Uh, everything up till Tuesday was awesome. Everything after that was just a headache. On Tuesday, I celebrated my birthday, and so everything leading up to that, amazing. And then everything after that was like, welcome to 33 years old, and responsibilities just kind of went into overdrive throughout this week. <laughs> but the thing is, a lot of the stuff that I had to deal with this week were just uh, more so frustrating because some of it was to do with things that I didn't even know were a thing, and I didn't even know that it was something that I was responsible for. You know, you ever have those moments where you find out you're, you're responsible for something that you didn't even know you were responsible for? Well, that was the rest of my week after Tuesday, where I find myself learning all these different things that I didn't know that I needed to know. <laughs> and so one of those things throughout this week that I've been dealing with, and I'll share it with you because I, I want, so you guys can be praying for that, that is... Um, we have somebody that had shown interest in our property. And they were interested in purchasing a portion of it, which was like right down the middle of our thing. And so I talked to our district superintendent. And he said, that's really not something that we want to do. Because if we wanted to eventually expand, then it would kind of be awkward. Because then we would lose that opportunity with them being right in the middle. So I told them, you know, that's not going to work. And so I told them, no. Well... I came in on Wednesday to get some stuff and to check the mail because I hadn't been in at all on Tuesday. And I had this thing from the site zoning and planning about them sending in, a, asking for a variance. And so now I have to go on Tuesday to this meeting to basically say, no, that's, we're, we're not okay with that, whatever he's asking. And actually, I ended up talking to our neighbor right next door, and he told me that his wife is actually going to the meeting as well because they received the same letter. And so at least I'll know I'll have, because I know they'll be saying no too, so that I know I have one more person. But it's, it's just been frustrating because it felt like they, we were, when the conversation happened, they said one thing about why they wanted it. But when I read what they sent to the city, it was a completely different thing than what they actually originally told us. So then it's just been weighing on me that I have to deal with all that. And then also I learned a few other things in regard to code compliances to the city that I didn't even know was a thing. I learned that our trash can, where it is, it wasn't zoned on our site plan originally. But even though it's been there for over like 13 years, it only just now became a thing or they've only just now caught it so then I'm like why didn't somebody catch this you know back in 2015 when the thing was put in and so that's another thing that I've had to deal with throughout this week so it's been very exhausting and in between our, all of that my daughter has been sick and so trying to do everything that we, we have to do and then having to make sure that I'm there for my kid who needs me it's just been tiring. And I can say that my 
self-control was definitely put to the test because I was making so many phone calls that nobody was answering. I got to the point where I was like, the first person that answered is going to get <laughs> a not very happy pastor to deal with. <laughs> Thankfully, nobody answered, and I was able to calm down. But it was that kind of week. The rest of my week was that's what it was to the point that I couldn't really get a whole lot of other things done because until I wanted to make sure that I resolved all those things. And that's all that was exhausting. And so when we go into this idea of what it means to be gentle, what it means to, to be, or in the, new, in the King James Version, it actually uses the word meekness instead of gentleness. And what I learned is that the reason why it uses two different translations, uh, it says that the New King James Version translates the, the Greek word proutus as gentleness, while the King James Version uses meekness. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1, it refers to Christ's meekness and gentleness as separate virtues. And so I'm going to read that for you real quick, where it says, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. So as I was reading this, this uh, little, uh, someone else's, this was somebody else's uh, commentary, and it says the, that word, it describes a condition of mind and heart. It is in an I want to make sure I say it exactly as it's written. It's an internal attitude, whereas, talking about uh, meekness or the proudness, whereas gentleness, which is mildness combined with tenderness, refers to action, which is an external behavior. And it says, although English has no direct equivalent words to that Greek word, meekness comes the closest. The drawback, drawback to that is that in modern English, meekness carries the stigma of weakness and cowardliness. In contrast, the meekness manifested by God and given to the saint is the fruit of power. It is enduring injury with patience and without resentment. In other words, this word meekness, if you, read, if you read the word meekness or you hear somebody use it, it's not used as, they're, as if they're giving you a compliment. It's more so they're saying that you're weak or that you're coward, that all this. But this is the difference between how God uses, sees things and how the world sees things. What the world sees as a weakness, God says this, he can use this as a strength. And when I read that first passage in 2 Corinthians verse 10, where Paul, who we know wrote many of those letters in the New Testament, where he's talking about how he's a, a timid person in, in person when he's speaking to them face to face, which was kind of mind-blowing to me because this was the same person that was going around basically imprisoning Christians. It takes a lot of boldness to go around and lead the charge to imprison people that were following Christ. And yet here he's saying that he's, he's timid when he's sharing face to face, but in his letters he can be very bold when he's speaking. I guess it's, it's a lot easier to write to people how you want to in a letter than it is a lot of times to talk to face to face. 
But it's very interesting because when you read his letters, you, he's, it's true. He can be very direct and sometimes it might even come up as harsh because he addresses a lot of the issues that people are having in, in their church settings and the things that they're going through where they are. And so sometimes those letters don't come off as gentle, but rather harsh. And so Paul continues to talk to them in the same, this same passage. So we'll go down to uh, verse 3 in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets off against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. The first thing I, wanted, I found myself asking is, what does it look like to walk in meekness, or if you look at it at the other translation, in gentleness. See, the thing I like about the, when you, I like to do, I was talking to Ryan earlier about this, when I read something in like the NIV, I also like to go back in the King James or New King James to kind of look at it, because sometimes they use two different words for the same thing. And so once I do that, then I kind of go and look for what the original word actually is supposed to be. And it was the same thing when we talked about patience, where in NIV it said patience, but actually in the other translation it actually said long-suffering. And when you put those two words together, it kind of gives you a different perspective of patience. Because patience means, you know, I'm willing, I will wait on this person. But long suffering is more about enduring whatever you're waiting on. It puts a different spin and a different meaning to it. And same thing with this word meekness. Instead of just using gentleness, when you talk about meekness, it forces you to look at what the world says is a weakness and what God says is a strength. Because then you have to trust that God is going to use what the world sees as a weakness for his glory. What the world looks at and say, man, that's, you know, you can't do anything with that. Or, but God says, no, in your weakness, I am strong. See, that's a promise that he gives us that when we feel weak, he can, his strength is what's going to lift us up. He's the one that's going to shine through because then it's no longer about us because then it becomes about him and what he can do through us in those weaknesses. So this word gentleness or meekness simply means a mildness of disposition or a gentleness of spirit. Of spirit. That's what the original word actually means. See, we live in this world, but there's a level of expectation on us as believers. And I'm not talking about what the world puts in us as believers. But I mean, as followers of Jesus, there's a certain expectation on how we're going to live that shows people that we are followers of Jesus. And Paul tells us clearly, he says, look, 
He says, I expect, to be, and not back to verse 2, it says, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. In other words, we don't live by the standards of this world because God's standards are completely different. The things we fight against are not just simply the things that we see, but there's also the spiritual aspects of our battle. And that's why he says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. See, the fruit of the Spirit that he's given us, just like that quote I read, is that it is, a, it is power. It means that we have all these things within us that we have to begin to use. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can show people the love of Christ. We can show people that the things that they see as weaknesses are actually strengths that God can use. How many, how many people allow the things that they experience to become weaknesses and think that, they, that God can't use them? But rather, God takes the things that we've gone through to actually help somebody else go through, that's going through the same thing. But we have to be willing to accept that our weaknesses, yes, we have weaknesses. And I think that's the first step, is accepting that we have limits, we have weaknesses, and that's okay. But then what you have to also realize is that even though I have weaknesses, I serve a God that doesn't just see me or define me by my weaknesses. But rather, he sees the weakness and he sees how he can use it for his kingdom, how he can use you to bring somebody into a deeper relationship with him, how he can use you to be an example for somebody else. Verse 7, Paul continues to talk. He says, you're judging by appearance. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should, make, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters for some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. Now, this it almost show, it really shows you kind of a difference in Paul from who he was before Jesus got a hold of him and changed him to this point where this is more of a, where he's humbling himself, where he's saying, look, even there are times where even he admits that, you know, he's not the best speaker, but yet God continued to use him to write these letters to the churches. In fact, he started several churches because God used them despite the, what he thought maybe as, saw as a weakness with his, the way he spoke or was able to teach. And yet God used all of that to send him all over the world to preach to Gentiles, to start churches. And so many people were saved and baptized and gave their lives to Christ because what he saw as a weakness, God said, no, nah, I'm going to use it. And he did. And he became an influence to all these different churches. So why is 
meekness or gentleness, if you will, important to us as a believer? What, what can our abilities to show meekness lead to when it involves non-believers? I think I took, the, I took that portion out, but it says that when we're speaking to people, when we're teaching people, we need to be gentle. It says opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance. That's what it's about. When we start, being, when we start teaching people and when people see these weaknesses in us, we remind them, yes, I am weak, but I serve a God so much more. And it says, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth in that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. That's what we are called to be and do as a church, is that we are to be showing people what it means to follow Jesus. Well, you can't really show people what it means to follow Christ if you if when you speak to them about Jesus or when you speak truth to them, it's always harsh. But rather, if you, got, if you are willing to be gentle and you're willing to show humility and kind of let yourself be led by the Spirit, then people are more apt to listen. Now, does everybody, you know, respond? No, there's those that are set in their, their mindset and set in their ways that may just ignore you or walk away. But that's okay. Because... It's not necessarily about them in that moment. It's about your obedience to what God has asked you to do. So to be gentle when instructing people or be to, be, to show that gentleness to people. To be well, ready to actually not jump up and fight somebody when they, I mean with words. You know, sometimes we want to argue with people but you can't argue people into the kingdom of God. If, they've already, if they're already set and armed and ready to argue with you, then they're not ready to listen. But rather you want to speak to them in a gentle manner, in a, but speaking that gentle truth, that's, that knowledge of truth that comes only from knowing God. They have to be open to it. See, Paul wants us to know that, yes, we will encounter people that will be ready to fight and argue with you. But at the same time, don't get yourself involved in foolish or stupid arguments. He says, flee the devil, flee the, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone able to teach and not resentful you can't teach people that are not willing to listen, but at the same time, if your teaching is always argumentative, they're not going to be willing to listen either. To know the truth is one thing. To live it out is one thing, but to you can't force it onto people. It just doesn't work. I wish it was that simple. 
So when we walk in meekness, this is what it looks like. We have to be ready to do whatever is good. That's what uh, Titus chapter 3 tells us. Be ready to do whatever is good. Do not slander anybody. Be peaceful and considerate. And I don't mean inconsiderate. I mean actually be considerate to people. But be gentle towards everyone. I love that they don't just say be gentle sometimes, be gentle towards some people. You know, when he says everyone and always, in fact, that's what he says, always be gentle to everyone because he wants there to be no exception. He doesn't want us to think, well, I'm having a rough day. I, I don't know if I can be gentle to this person or the next person that kind of rubs me the wrong way. No, he says always be gentle, which means that you have to keep yourself in check always. To be willing to uh, talk to people in a kind manner. To be willing to respond to people in a loving manner. To be willing to put these things to practice. As I shared earlier with all these things, I, I really was so frustrated. To the point, and I'm thankful that no one did answer the phone. And when I did finally get a chance to talk to somebody, I was definitely more much in a different headspace to where I could actually have the conversation, where I could actually ask questions to help me understand what was going on. And I was able to have conversation, and they answered a lot of the questions I needed answered. And that's how I learned what some of the problems were, and then I realized these, some of these problems were really things that I would have never realized were an issue. And then I had to kind of relook at the situation, you know, because when you look at it, I can, you can look at it a two-way, as a bother or as a blessing. And I realized that I'm thankful that it was caught now than if it would be caught, say, a little later down the road to where, you know, because, you know, code violation ends up with, can end up with fines and stuff. And so I'm thankful that it was caught and that somebody was able to explain to me, well, here's why. Here's what's going on, and there's things like that, so then it can be taken care of. Because I don't want it to become a problem later for somebody else in the future. And so I could have been like, well this, is just, this, well, this is not my fault. I didn't have anything to do with this. Why do I have to deal with this? But rather, like, no, I get a chance to keep it from being an issue for somebody else later on. And so we have to re rethink and kind of stop and process things before we respond. And sometimes it's good to stop and process things before you respond. Because your first response is not, may not always be the right response. There was this comedian that I was, uh, I wa I was watching once and he was talking about how his parents have been married, I forget how many years, and, you know, he said, he asked his dad, well, how'd you stay married for so long, you know, and he said, basically, his dad says, well, it's simple, I just say the third thing that comes to mind, <laughs> he said, the first one <laughs> probably gets you on the couch, the second one, well, <laughs> he said, the first one might get you in the doghouse, second one might get you on the couch, the third one, you're safe. Which I thought was hilarious because then he goes into an example of how he ended up using that, which was hilarious to me. So, but the first response that we have when we're dealing with things in life 
is not always a positive one. And so sometimes if we don't stop and process what we're going through, the, thing, the way we respond doesn't show people Christ. Rather, it shows the flesh. And we want people to see Christ no matter what our situations are. And so in order to do that, we have to stop and really think about what we're going through. Sometimes we get so caught up in the situation that we don't even realize that God was with us the whole time. And so when we stop and take a step back and look at it and go, okay, God never left my side during this moment. How can I respond? How can I show people that God is a God who is faithful? That no matter what it is that they might be going through, that God will not leave their side, that he sees them and he will walk with them through it all. So what made the difference for us to go from being disobedient, harsh, and led by the flesh? It is because we gave our hearts and we accepted Jesus to be our Savior. That's the difference. By accepting him as Lord and Savior, the kindness the kindness that he displayed by willingly dying on the cross for us. Titus put it like this in verse 4. He says, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see, we would not really fully comprehend this sacrificial love if not for Jesus' sacrifice. The sacrifice that says, even though you don't know me, I'm still going to put my life on the line for you. See, that's a... Love is... is you can say you love somebody, but until you have to really sacrifice for them, it, take, it doesn't take that full meaning. Because no amount of sacrifice we do will ever equate to the same level of sacrifice that Jesus put for us on the cross. And, you know, we should be glad that we don't have to die on the cross for the people we love. But at the same time, we should not ever take for granted that Jesus was willing to die on the cross because he loves us. See, the difference that people should see in us is because of the kindness and love of God and what he's done in our lives. So when they see the gentleness, they see the kindness or the goodness in us, the, th the way we're acting and treating others, we can reflect back and say, man, I'm, I'm only able to do this because of who God is and what he's done for me. I'm only able to show this same level of love and kindness and, and be considerate to that level because God has shown me the same level of consideration. Can you imagine what it would be like if he had said, I only, you know, I'm going to die only for the ones that I know for sure will accept me? But rather he says, I'm going to die for all Every single person, even the ones that will hear it and still choose to deny it. 
And then he promised us the Holy Spirit, and that's where the fruits of the Spirit comes from. It's not to say we didn't already have these things inside of us, because we are all capable of doing good things, and we're all capable of doing bad things. And every day we have to choose whether we're going to do the right things or the wrong things. Sometimes it might seem like that choice is made for us because of people that gets in our path, and you have to make those quick reaction types of decisions. But the truth is, if you're walking by the Spirit and you allow yourself to be led by the Spirit, when you come to those moments, He will show you what to do. He will give you the right things to say or the things not to say in those moments. Maybe in that moment, you don't have to say a word. Verse 8 tells us that this is a trustworthy thing, and I want you to stress these things, talking about what God has done for us. And that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Again, he reminds us, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful and they are self-condemned. So this is why he, he said in that first letter, you know, he may be a little timid face-to-face, -face, at least it seems that way, but in his letters he can be, uh, come off really strong and harsh because that's, that's just the way he writes. And he was a very educated person, and so he knew the laws. He knew what God had done. He knew all those things. But he also had witnessed what God had done to transform his life as he went around and shared the gospel. And so he's, he's kind of a different from the disciples that walked with Jesus because they didn't have that, they, even though they might have known some of the law, Paul himself was actually a Pharisee. And so he knew all those laws, even the extra things that were put in the laws. So he knew all of those things. And so for him, when he gave his, when Jesus grabbed a hold of him, that's a big shift because all of a sudden what he knew and had grown up with and had studied, God is saying, well, Here's what I want you to do. Here's the way I'm going to use you. I'm going to send you all over to share the gospel and reach the Gentiles for me. And that's exactly what God did to him and through him. And you know what the, the amazing thing about Paul's walk is that he also knew that there was going to come a point when he finally returned to uh, Jerusalem that he was going to actually be arrested because the Spirit told him, eventually when you finally make that full circle and you come back, you will be arrested. <laughs> and yet he continued. I don't know about you, but if I was told that, you know, when I finally go back to this certain point, here's what's going to happen to me, I would avoid that as long as I can till I'm old and gray if I have to. But that's the difference in his level of obedience is that he knew that Maybe at that point he had done all that God had asked him to do by going everywhere. And this was the final step. Now what some might see as, well, you're going to suffer. 
But even in prison, he continued to share with the soldiers. He shared with, whenever they brought him before the leaders in front, he shared about God. So even in his suffering, he continued to share the gospel. Because he knew that God can still use what we might see as a problem to win souls for the kingdom. Peter tells us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness. And let's not forget this next part, in respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. See, for our Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you and me to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. It is better to, do, to suffer for doing good than doing evil. In other words, don't follow the behaviors of other people, but follow the behaviors that you know are right, doing the right things, even if other people aren't. Are you always prepared to give people an answer when they ask you, why do you follow Jesus? Why is he important to you? Or maybe what does that mean to you? On Monday, when we did a youth group, we were talking a little bit about really surrendering. And I shared with, the, with, the, with them about what coming to Christ looked like for me. And then I had uh, Denise shared as well to kind of tell them that there's not one way, just one way that God grabs a hold of you. It can happen while you're at home. Sometimes it's from a parent leading their child to Christ by praying with them. Sometimes it happens at uh, campground. Sometimes it happens where you just in the midst, in a moment where he just catches you and you surrender. And then I asked them, you know, have you surrendered to him? And I appreciated the honest answers because they, they were pretty honest. And one of them said, you know, I know that he's the Lord and Savior, but I don't know that I fully surrendered to him. 
But how many adults find themselves in that same space where you know that He's Lord and Savior, but you haven't really fully surrendered your all to Him? But you're still kind of holding on to things. You, you still want to be in control of some aspects rather than surrendering to Him and trusting Him. So maybe you're in that space where you know He's Lord and Savior, but you haven't surrendered everything. Don't wait to do just that, to surrender everything to Him. So then that when people ask you about why you follow Jesus or why he's important to you, then you can say with confidence why you have accepted him as Lord and Savior, why it is important to you. So there will be no doubt. And you can answer with honesty and keep a clear conscience. And he talks about baptism as well. See, baptism is really a declaration of that faith. Not only have you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, now you're saying, well, I want to make a public declaration of that faith. I want to be baptized. And it's the significance of being made new as you're dunked down and then brought back up and saying that the old has been washed away and the new has taken place. And that is the symbolism of baptism. That we're giving up the old and accepting the new that comes with following Jesus. And if you've never been baptized, and that's something that you are interested in, please feel free to talk to me about that because I believe it's an important step in our walk. Because even in Scripture, when um, I forget which, which of the disciples was walking along the road where the Spirit was leading him, and then he came upon the Ethiopian eunuch who was just reading God's Word but didn't really have an understanding of what he was reading. And he pulls up next to this uh, as they're walking, and he said, Do you understand what you're reading? And the gentleman says, Well, how can I without somebody to explain it to me? And that was the doorway where he began to explain to him about everything, including who Jesus was. And in that same moment, that Ethiopian eunuch gave his heart to Christ. And then he wanted to be baptized. Literally, they found the lake and he baptized him in it. See, there's nowhere in Scripture it says that you know, baptism has to happen right here in this building I'm of the mindset that if you want to be baptized and you tell me where you know a place, I will baptize you in the name of Jesus because that's what he calls us to be. And the thing I wanted, I wanted to share earlier that I waited till the end is that, you know, there are times where we just all need encouragement. And the thing that encouraged me throughout this week that is that reminder that not only am I where God wants me to be, but I know He is working in this space. And last Sunday, so she's not here, uh, but one of our kids actually accepted Jesus during children's ministry last Sunday. See, so God is working and moving and doing some amazing things. 
We just have to continue to be obedient, and that's what it's about, to reach people for Christ. And for me, going into my week, I had to kind of keep reminding me of, this, of that, that yes, this week, part of it was rough, but I'm not going to let that overshadow the things that God is doing in our church. So I look forward to God continuing to move and people continuing to give their hearts to Christ and being hungry for God because that's the kind of place I want us to be, a place that people will come in hungry for the Lord and be changed and transformed. And that's what we're here for. And so if you find yourself in a space where you just need to surrender to God, or maybe you want to stand in the gap for somebody that you know needs to surrender, I would encourage you that you begin to make that a daily prayer. Continuously going before God, asking that He would get a hold of them, that they would completely surrender themselves to God. And then watch Him transform their lives. And so if you have somebody on your mind or on your heart this morning, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes with me and to bow your heads and just maybe begin to think of that person and begin to pray for them as I will pray in agreement with you that God would do some amazing thing to reveal himself to them. Heavenly Father, I thank you Thank you for your love. Thank you for the work that you are doing in this space, Lord. Even at times when it might seem like nothing is happening, but the truth of the matter is you are working even when we can't see it. God, we are believing that the people that are on our hearts and mind that we know need you desperately, Lord, that you are going to grab a hold of them and you are going to transform their lives and they will surrender to you. And that we will hold on to, Lord. We will continue to pursue you and pray for that until it happens. Because we desire to be a place of hope that shares your gospel and shares the light of your kingdom all over this community. So God, we're believing that not only do you hear us, but that you're going to answer these prayers or that we will see those lives change. We will see those transformations happen. So God, we're praying all this in faith because your word tells us where two or more are gathered, Lord, there you will be with us. And that if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, we can say, move to this mountain and it will move. And so, God, we're praying that the barriers, the mountains that might keep them from dr- coming to you, Lord, you would drop it and remove it completely. There will be no obstacles that will stop you from reaching them. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Give you glory, honor, and praise. In the name of Jesus Christ, your son, we pray.